morning, okay, it's all about faithfulness. It's about faithfulness. It's about faithfulness and service. And for context this morning, I just want to lay a foundation by going back just a little bit in Matthew's gospel to chapter, uh, chapter 24, Matthew 24. And here we find uh, Jesus and his disciples departing from the temple. They're leaving the temple in Jerusalem, and his disciples begin to point out to Jesus they begin to show him all the various buildings uh, that make up the temple area. And as they do, Jesus speaks these shocking and sobering words to his 12 disciples. He says this, My disciples, look at all these buildings. Look at all the various buildings of the temple. I tell you the truth, they will all be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left upon another. They will all be thrown down. These buildings will be raised to the ground. And after that, we find Jesus going to the Mount of Olives, and he sits down, and his disciples come to him. You know, and I have no doubt that during that walk, that journey to the Mount of Olives, that the disciples, as they always did, as we would too, had talked and debated about, what was Jesus talking about there? They, they debated amongst themselves concerning the things that Jesus had just spoken to them. They wanted answers. <laughs> So they come to him as he sits there on the Mount of Olives, and they ask him, they say, Jesus, Master, will you please tell us when these things will happen? What will be the sign of your return? What will be the signal of your coming? And what will be the end of this age? And you know, Jesus, he begins to answer their questions with one of his great discourses. You see, he's already told them about the destruction of the temple, and now he begins to speak to them concerning the signs of the age. And these are things that Pastor Allen has went through over the last couple of weeks in his wee series. And Jesus tells them of the abomination of desolation, a reference, a reference to something found in the prophet Daniel, which I'm sure they knew about. He goes on to speak concerning the, son of, the coming of the Son of Man, followed by a lesson concerning a fig tree, and telling them uh, the eternal truth that no one, no one knows the day or the hour of his return. No man knows. No angels know. It's only the Father in heaven that knows. Now, please remember at this point, there's no break here in the discourse. Jesus didn't stop speaking and, and ask someone to make a new chapter number in the Bible. This is one continuous sermon, one continuous speech given by Jesus right there on the Mount of Olives as he sits with his disciples and explains all these things to them. Now, now Jesus turns to his favorite storytelling device, the parable. You know, in the New Testament, there are over 30 parables spread out across the four Gospels. I looked up, and in fact, many people say that there's over 100 throughout the entire Bible. But in the Gospels, Jesus spoke over 30 parables. And Jesus was an avid user of parables. It was his favorite literary device to share his teachings, to share his laws and lessons with the disciples, with the Pharisees, with his friends, with his followers, and whoever else happened to be within earshot at that time. Some of the parables, of course, are widely known. You could all name me a parable here this morning, but there's some less known, and I think the one I want to share this morning is somewhere kind of in the middle. Now, chapter 5 begins with what we know as the parable of the ten virgins, or a better title might be the parable of the ten bridesmaids, because that's what they were. They were bridesmaids. There was five foolish and five wise. And Jesus, Jesus begins the parable with these wonderful words. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, or ten bridesmaids, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. 
You know, this parable that Jesus shares with his closest is a story that carries the important lesson of watchfulness and of being watchful. It also contains the important lesson of inward preparation, being prepared inwardly in your heart. But Pete, watchful for what? Inwardly prepared for what? Well, for the coming of the Lord, for the return of Jesus. That's the message that Jesus was trying to get across to his disciples. And Jesus here in this parable is making it clear to his disciples that there is an inward preparation that is needed to be ready for his return. And he is warning them to be watchful, to be ready, to be ready for his return in glory. And in verse 13, Jesus brings this parable to a close with these sobering words. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. His disciples are told directly and clearly to watch and be inwardly prepared. Now we come to our main text for this morning. And verse 14 in the King James Version reads like this. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And for those of you who know your Bibles and parables well, you'll know that this is the beginning phrase of the parable of the talents. Now, if you don't know it, you're going to know it soon. I want to point out before we move on, you see the words that are underlined on the screen and in italics? The kingdom of heaven is. That means that they're not actually part of the original text but have been added by the translators to try and help with the flow and readability of the text. Okay, you won't find them in the Greek. And in the majority of cases, it does help us understand what the Bible says. But in this case, I feel like they've went a little too far. They've tried to, take, they've tried to make the context fit perfectly with what's been before. But I'll, more on that in a wee minute. The Greek simply says, for just as a man... Or maybe we could push so far as for it is as when a man. Now, this will all make sense. But if we actually follow the text out of verse 13, okay, and forget about the separation of verses and numbers and chapters and everything, we could read both verses 13 and 14 joined together, interpolated, and the result makes so much sense and joins the parables wonderfully. Let me show you what I mean. So coming out of verse 13, watch therefore... For ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh, comma, for he, that is the Son of Man, is as a man traveling into a far country. Do you see what I mean? Okay, so there's no break. Jesus just flows into the next parable. And now we discover who the first character in this story is. It's the Son of Man. It's Jesus himself. And what is this man doing? <laughs> Well, he's planning to travel into a far country. This man is going away. He is leaving to go on a long journey. That's literally what the Greek means. And what does this man do before he goes? Well, Jesus tells his disciples that the man, before he leaves, he calls his servants to meet him and he delivers unto them his goods. The New Living Translation says this, that he called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. And Jesus goes on to give the 12 disciples more details concerning this uh, transaction and this event. Verse 15 of Matthew 25. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. 
Here the master, this man, has called his three servants together, and he begins to give them a portion of his wealth. He gives one servant five talents, he gives the second servant two talents, and he gives the third servant one talent. And then he heads off on his journey. He now has his wealth in the hands of his servants. Now, maybe you consider this a little strange, as I did. But this was actually the normative practice in Palestine at the time of Jesus. Servants, servants is, a, is an okay word for that for what's translated, but a better word would actually be slaves, okay? So slaves and servants. And slaves did hold respectable positions in the homes of the wealthy and well-off. When we think of slaves, I don't think we think, I don't think we think, that's not a good phrase, is it? We don't think of servants who have the trust of their masters. But you know, this is the way it was in ancient times. Slide 12, sorry, I'm reading out what... <laughs> Reading out would have written the term a slide. Slaves or servants, okay? They are trusted stewards. They are agents. They are custodians. They are caretakers. And what is a steward? Well, it's simply a person employed to manage another's property or possessions. They were used to administer their master's property, possessions, and wealth. They were caretakers, custodians, overseers, and agents of all that the master would entrust into their care. You see, slaves in ancient times had far more power and rights than we might think, or maybe what they do now, and they often entrusted, they were often entrusted with great responsibilities. In fact, you'll find that many slaves throughout the Bible did hold confidential posts. Genesis 15 has a, 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 about Abraham, and it, it tells us the story of Abraham's slave, who was actually the steward of his entire household. You see, church, we need to learn and know and understand the ways of the old world in order to understand the context of what Jesus is here telling his disciples. Or else, what happens, we will end up somewhere in interpretation land that we should not be. We end up lost. We end up with an, a, an incorrect understanding of the scriptures. And you know, it's clear from the text that these three men, these three servants, these three slaves, they were found trustworthy by their master. Now, this word talents, what are we to make of this? What is a talent, and why does Jesus use this word? Now, I don't want you to be misled by our modern word, talent, okay? It's very, very different, okay? It's not the same thing, so get that out of your head. It's a Greek word, talenton, and this word means a weight, okay? It means a certain weight, and it's usually a bag of coins made up of either copper, silver, or gold, and always worth quite a lot of money. It was very valuable in ancient times. You know, scholars estimate that each, that each talent, each bag of coins, came to the value of around 400 pounds. Now, back then, that was a lot of money. Maybe you don't think, maybe you rich ones don't think that is a lot of money, but I think it's a lot of money. I'd love someone to give me five, five bags of that. <laughs> you know, this, this man, this master, it's quite obvious that he was a wealthy man. He was a wealthy guy. And he was placing his wealth into the custody and care of his valued servants while he went away with no indication of when he would return. You know, they were indefinitely placed in charge of all that he owned. All of his wealth was being entrusted to them. There's a little phrase in the text that we must not miss out because if we do, we will not fully grasp what the Lord was trying to teach through this parable. 
After we read of the man handing out his goods and his wealthiest servants, we read these words. And he gave them to every man according to his several ability. Every man according to his several ability. Here we find that all three men were not the same in ability. They didn't share the same ability. What was going on here? Well, I think it's obvious that the wealthy man who entrusted these riches into the hands of a slave knew that all did not carry within themselves the same ability or capacity for the work and responsibility that he was given to them. You see, he knew what was in each of them and he knew what each of them could cope with. He knew their personalities and their makeup. He knew their character and their dispositions. He made his choice carefully and wisely and gave to each what he believed they were capable of dealing with and able to bear. You see, this was a big responsibility for these servants, and they should not take it lightly. This man was entrusting his wealth, his goods, his prized possessions to these three servants, and I'm sure they all felt the weight of what was upon them. And you know, this is so important in this parable. It's of the utmost importance that we grasp this before we move on. But what's also important to note is that they all got a measure of the same talent, okay? They all got a measure of the same thing, the same goods and the same gift. It was only the amount given to each servant in the parable that was different, but that's actually secondary to the main theme. It is not what they were given that is important, but what they did with it that is important. Are they obedient and do they uh, use what the master has given them? The man has now given out the talents and we know he leaves. He heads off on his journey and they do not know when he will be returning, but they should expect him at some point. They need to be ready. They should be in a state of readiness and inward preparation. And now the game is on, and we will see what each of the servants will do with what they have been entrusted with. Let's read from verse 15. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. Here in verses 16 to 18, we find out exactly what each of the servants did with what had been entrusted into their care, into their keeping. What did they do for the master? What would he find when he returned home? What did they do with what he had given them and entrusted to them? We see that the servant who had been given the five talents, five bags of precious silver or gold, he went and traded with them. He put his bag of talents to work. This word traded that we find in the Bible here, it carries the meaning of toil, of work, and of labor. It also has the implication of effort, of occupation, and being engaged, of engagement. You see, this servant took what the master had entrusted to him. He used it. He worked it. He toiled with it. He labored with it, with effort, and he engaged in what he was doing. And what was the result? What was the outcome for this man? Well, it says, and he made them other five talents. There was reward for his work and labor. All the effort was worth it. He had made a 100% gain on his talents for his master. And what about the servant who was given to? What happened to his lot? 
He was entrusted just the same as the servant with five, with the same talent. He did exactly the same. He went out and worked and toiled, and he got a 100% return also. He got gains for his efforts. Now, what about the last servant? What has he been up to? Let's find out. Hopefully, he too has been out working and toiling and making the effort for the master because he too has been trusted with ample wealth and resources to trade, to work and serve his master. You see, in this ancient system of master and slave, the slave always received a portion of the profits. That's the way it worked. There did not need to be a contract. It was just the way things were. It was more like an assumed agreement. The slave knew that if he was faithful with what he had been given, the master would reward him with a share of the profits. That was the incentive to get out there and work and trade and engage and be faithful. So what did the slave who was given one bag of, ma of the master's wealth do with it? Was he faithful? Was he engaged and committed to working for his master? Verse 18 told us, but he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. In the New Living Translation, it says this, but the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Oh dear. It's not good, is it? Patty, it's not good, is it? Someone hasn't been making any effort at all and has chosen the easy way out. No risks taken, no gain made. What did this servant do instead? Well, we just read it. He dug a hole deep in the ground, and in there he put his bag of talents, and he covered it up, and he forgot about it. For a while. He buried what the master had entrusted to him. He buried it. And now the master unexpectedly, after a long time, returns. The master is back home. Here he is. He is back home. And verse 19 tells us that he calls his three servants back to himself in order that they can give an account of how they have used his wealth and talents. I don't know about you, but if I'm the servant that put the money in the ground I'd be wanting the ground now to open up and swallow me. Yes? You know what I'm saying? I'd be sweating it. I'd be so anxious. I would be a nervous wreck. Here's my master coming back. What about the talent that I just did? I'd be thinking, I've got to get a plan together here. I've got to come up with an explanation concerning my actions. And you know what? That's precisely what this man does, as we will see. Let's read what transpires as the servants come before the master. And so he that had five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, look, I have gained beside them five talents more. <clears throat> His Lord said unto him, Well done, Thou good and faithful servant, thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He that also received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, 
good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter now into the joy of thy Lord. Do you see these words of praise and commendation for these two wise and loyal servants? Do you see it, church? You see the praise that they got? Well done. You've been good. You've been a good servant. You've been a faithful servant. You've been faithful over what I gave into your keeping and care. And now I'm going to set you over so much more. Enter into the joy of your master. I'm so pleased with what you've done. Well done. You committed yourselves and you made such a great effort. You worked and you toiled and you labored and you have your reward. Commendations and congratulations. Well done. You will now receive a share of the profit which you have labored for while I have been away. Well done. It's what you both deserve. And now the moment of reckoning comes. The final servant comes before the master. Verse 24. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and I went, and I hid your talent in the earth. Look, there thou hast that is thine. Here is your talent. Verse 26. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, Thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers and then at my coming I should have received my own, mine own with usury. That word usury is an old word for interest. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. What does this servant have to say to himself? Well, he tries first of all to turn it on to his master. He says, master, I knew you were a harsh man. I believe this is what you were like because you harvest crops you don't plant and you gather crops that you don't cultivate. I was afraid that I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. I put it in the ground. But look, don't worry, it's all okay. Here's your money back. At least I didn't lose it. At least I didn't lose it on you. Well, church, it wasn't okay. It definitely wasn't okay. The master was not pleased with the lack of effort and this negative attitude of his servant. He calls him a wicked and lazy servant. And he tells this last servant, if you knew all these things about me, why did you not just go and put my talents in the bank? At least that way I could have acquired even a little interest on top. You see, in ancient times, this would have been the master's second option, to put all of his wealth in the Roman banking system and let it acquire a basic line of interest. Church, we know what the banks are like, don't we? You don't get much for your money. <laughs> but at least he would have got something. Maybe a pound a year or something. Isn't that what we get? But that's not what he wanted to do. He went for the other option. He wanted to trust his servants to get the business done. And he says this to the last slave, you would have been better if you just stuck my money in the bank because in the ground we both get nothing back. You've wasted the opportunity that I gave you and now the servant's reward comes but it is the opposite of the two faithful slaves. The master says, because you hid it in the ground and did nothing with what I give you, I am going to take it away from you and give it to the servant that was given five and doubled my possessions. Verse 28, take therefore the talent from him and give it unto him which hath 10 talents. And here we see the first servant receive a bonus reward on top of the share of the prophet. And this servant receives nothing at all. The servant with five 
and the servant with two were faithful. But the servant with one hid his in the ground and now finds himself without any reward. Look, we talked a little while ago about the parable Jesus tells at the beginning of chapter 25, the parable of the 10 bridesmaids. And it was a lesson on preparing for the master's return. It was a lesson on inward preparation. And this, this parable now, the one that comes after it concerning the talents, is a lesson on outward preparation. Outward preparation. And you know what? Both of these things are extremely valuable to the Lord. He wants his people, church, to be inwardly prepared for his return, but also outwardly prepared. He, just like the master in the story, has gone away. He's ascended into heaven, but at some point, church, he will return. Do you believe that? He will return. We don't know when. No one does. And if anyone tries to tell you to do, they're wafflers. Don't know what they're talking about. But at some point, at an unexpected time, Jesus will return. I promise you that. I said in our introduction this morning that this parable of the talents is about faithfulness. Church, God wants to know if you are faithful. He wants to know who his faithful servants are. He wants to know if you will be faithful with his good gifts and the opportunities that he provides for you. The man in this story, as we know as the master, we, this is Jesus. It's the son of man, our Lord and Savior. And he is the giver of good gifts. He is the one that has all spiritual wealth, all spiritual possession. He is the one who by the Holy Spirit gives his goods, his magnificent merchandise to those who believe in him and who he expects to put these gifts to use in his service. Church, this parable is a lesson to us all. It's a lesson to me, and I hope it's a lesson to you, as it was to the disciples primarily all those years ago on the Mount of Olives. So what does, this, what does Jesus want to teach us through this parable? Well, I hope as we went through the story, you were picking up little bits here and there of, oh, that, that, that sounds good, and oh, I know what he's trying to say there. Were you doing that? Sort of. Hopefully you were. Firstly, God's gifts to everyone are the same. I'm not talking about talents, okay? Forget about our word talent and ability. That's not what I'm talking about this morning. That's not the main theme of this parable, okay? Can be part of it, but that's not the main theme. I'm talking about the gifts that God has given to all of us. His grace, his mercy, the gift of salvation, he has rescued us, redeemed us, and set us free. The gift of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ that we have been called to share with the world. What about the gift of the new covenant? A better covenant, a living covenant, not a covenant written on stone, but written on our hearts. What about the gift that is all of his promises that we read about in his word? And what about his word? Church, is this not a gift to us all? Is this not the greatest gift that we could ever receive after salvation is his word? Then there are his spiritual gifts given to the church by the Holy Spirit for the building up and the edification of the saints. What about another wonderful gift he has given to us all? The fruit of the Holy Spirit found in Galatians 5. 
Then there are the gifts of faith, of hope, and love, the gift of his goodness that follows us all the days of our lives. What about the gift of his unending grace that has saved us and keeps us with the seal of the Holy Spirit? And what about prayer, a precious gift of communication that we have with Almighty God? What about the gift of his peace that passes all understanding? What about the boundless and limitless love of God? And what about the gift of the future that we have in him, secure in him? A place prepared for us to go and be with him forever, for all eternity. Can someone say amen this morning? You're very quiet. Have you spoke up yet? Just think about it. A secure place prepared for us. What a wonderful gift to us. Are these not all incredible and wonderful gifts that have been given to us as his people? Yes, they are. Church, this is the magnificent merchandise. These are the goods that the Lord, our master, has given us, his servants, and they are nothing less than the unsearchable, sorry, the unsearchable riches of his grace. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Amen. Church, I said it earlier, we have been blessed and we have been given these wonderful gifts by our God and Savior through the Holy Spirit. We, like the servants in this story, have been entrusted with the gifts of God. We are custodians. We are caretakers. We are agents of all that he has given to us. Church, we are his stewards. We are his stewards. And we are to steward and use the gifts that God has given us faithfully. He has gone and left us to steward this magnificent merchandise. The very talents of God, those bags of weight, those bags and weights of gold and silver that he has given to us to use in his service, in faithful service, and think about what our reward will be in the end. And secondly, he provides us with opportunity to make use of these wonderful gifts. Firstly, he gives us the gifts. Secondly, he always gives us an opportunity to make use of them. Just like the master in this story provided an opportunity for his servants, so God, he will give all of us opportunities to serve him and do our best with what he has given us. Now, I ask you this morning, what are you doing with the master's magnificent merchandise? What are you doing with it? Are you putting these gifts to good use? Are you using them at all? Are you even interested in the good gifts, what the good gifts are, and what God has given to you to steward and use in your service of him. I hope you are interested. I hope you care. Do you care? Or are you indifferent this morning to what the master has called us to be and to do? Do you make the best use of every opportunity to use what God has given you? Do I make the best use? I'm talking to myself this morning, church, as well. Do you take every chance you get to serve him with the magnificent merchandise that he has bestowed upon you? Church, we honestly need to ask ourselves this morning, are we using the master's magnificent merchandise that the Lord God has given to us in his service? Are we using it? Are we using it in faithful and committed service? I pray that we are. Are we making the best use of every opportunity to serve him that comes our way? 
in order to see his kingdom grow and advance, in order to see his rule and reign extend into hearts and minds all over this earth, in order to see nations transformed, communities transformed, cities transformed by the gospel and by the city of God, to see many in our families and communities come to faith in Christ. Church, he has called us to be his witnesses. Are you being a faithful witness? Are you being a faithful witness? He has called us to be his hands and his feet. Are you being obedient to that call? He desires that we be salt and light. But this morning, have you lost your savor? And as the Bible says, have you hid your light under a bushel? Have you put your lamp under a bushel? Have you put it out when you should be letting it shine? Are we all that the Lord wants us and needs us to be? Are we being faithful as the body of Christ in what the Lord has called us to be? That's what I want us to ask this morning. Are you faithful? Are you committed? Are you devoted to the Lord with all of your heart, mind, strength, and soul? I pray that you are, and I pray that I would be too. Only you can answer those questions this morning. And you know what? If your answer is a no, then perhaps you're just like the lazy and like the <laughs> the wicked and lazy servant. And I want to tell you, the wicked and lazy servant does not meet a good end. He doesn't. There's no reward for the lazy servant. He ends up empty-handed. Church, here's the hard truth this morning. You're not bringing the master pleasure if you've hidden what he has given you. And we, as a body of believers, if we have hidden what the Lord has given to us, we are bringing displeasure to the Lord, to the master. And do you know what? Non-use is as bad as misuse. Non-use is possibly even worse. At least with misuse, you're giving it a go. You've made some effort, but they're both bad. And I hope and pray that we haven't dug a massive hole in the ground and buried what the Lord has entrusted to us I want us to be faithful with his good gifts in his service and for his glory. Does anybody else want that? Am I on my own this morning? I want us to receive the reward that I know he has for us if we persevere in his servants, in his service with unwavering faithfulness to make the best use of every opportunity that he provides us to serve him faithfully and to use his good gifts, that magnificent merchandise. Look, we must be like the servants in this story with the five and the two talents. We must use what he has given to us faithfully, pressing on towards the prize, the end goal, eternity with him. The one with five and the one with two, they went right away and they got stuck in. There was no messing about. There was no waiting around. They knew what they were called to do and they went and did it without fear, without reservation. They committed themselves and they went and got in the game. They worked and they toiled and they labored as all good servants do. And church, they got a return. They made a gain. They got their reward. They stayed committed and engaged. They used the full measure that was given to them and they went full steam ahead. Now church, from the story, the truth is that we all, as individuals, we don't get the same measure of gift. That's just the way it is. But church, we all get the same gift. We all get what we need to accomplish what God has given each of us to do. And together, think about what we can accomplish. 
Some of us get the five. More responsibility, more expected of them, more pressure because God knows they have a greater capacity and they can cope with it. Some of us get two, probably the majority of us, given a suitable measure of God's good gifts. But God has still given us exactly what we need to fulfill his purposes on earth. The gift is no less valuable. It's just that we have, a, have limited abilities and capacity. But God knows this. He knows our weaknesses and our failings. But he's only interested in one thing, whether you're faithful or not. That's it. And then there's the man. Then there's some who only get the one. They get the smallest measure because that's all they can handle. But even if you've been given the small measure, you still have a duty to be faithful with what you have been given. You don't get off the hook. You don't get to bury it. None of us get to bury the good things that the Lord has given to us and sit down and simply wait for his return. That is lazy. It's wicked. And I don't want him to call me a wicked and lazy servant on that day. I know you don't either. He wants us to be about the Father's business, just as he was. Let's use Jesus as our primary example and the two faithful servants. Look, the truth is, we all get a measure of the Master's magnificent merchandise, and he calls us to be faithful in his service. And here's the best news, church. If we're faithful, we get a share of the profit. Amen? Just as the servants in our story did. We will all give an account to what we did with what the Lord gave to us. We will all be judged according to what we have received. And we, will all, and we have all received of his riches in glory. None of us can say this morning that God has not given us good things and poured out on us his heavenly blessings. Church, be faithful. Why don't the worship team come back? Church, let's stand together just before we, we respond with song. Let's stand. Church, am I making sense this morning? Okay. Here, it, it's simple. Be faithful. Serve him with the goods and gifts that he has blessed you with, and you will be well rewarded. He will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Church, can we this morning commit to being faithful with all that he has given us? Can we? Yes? Let's work, let's toil, let's labor for the king. Here's the question you need to answer for yourself today. When the master returns, will he find me faithful? You see, God doesn't reward brilliance. He doesn't reward genius. He doesn't reward popularity. You might be the most popular person in the world. God's only interested in one thing. Have you been faithful with what I give you? Have you been devoted in service and loyal to me? Have you displayed humility and compassion as you served me? Have you made the most of every single opportunity that I give you to serve me faithfully? You see, it wasn't fame that brought the master's reward. It was faithfulness. It was loyalty. It was humble service. It was obedience and it was perseverance. Church, Jesus is coming back. Do not let the delay mislead you. We will all give an account. Ask yourself this morning, will he reward me for being a good and faithful servant? Because the master, Jesus Christ, he's looking for goodness and he's looking for faithfulness. And only you can answer that. I pray that we will all be ready inwardly and outwardly 
And I hope and pray he finds you faithful in his service.